Let me tell you about the worst fight that I ever got into with my dad. I was 16 years old. We didn't have cell phones back then. That's been a few years ago. He called the house phone. I lived in Lexington, Missouri, and all he said was, hey, I bought a car. I heard, I bought you a car. He tried to help me understand that it wasn't exactly what I was wanting, but he had helped a buddy out by purchasing the car from him because his buddy needed cash. Now, I just got to stop here and tell you that my dad drove a Camaro. My dad brought my older brother, bought my older brother a Camaro. So I was expecting a Camaro. And if I'm honest, I had better grades than my brother, so I was expecting a Corvette. So I asked my buddy, Joy, who was hanging up my house at the time when I took the call, hey, let's go to Blue Springs, man. My dad's bought me a car. So we drive to Blue Springs, and we get to his house before he gets there. And again, we didn't have cell phones to connect all this. And we're sitting there outside of the car in the yard at my dad's apartment. And a car comes driving down the road that was not a Camaro. It was a white Ford, four-door LTD with a green vinyl top and green vinyl interior. And I said as a 16-year-old, what the hell is that? I got a car. So unfortunately, I didn't react real well to this car. That really wasn't a gift, but it kind of was. And so my dad and I start to talk about it. Uh, he has a friend present who was driving his car back home, the Camaro. And Joey is sitting there, and the, the talk turns to an argument. And then the argument moves inside his house, and it starts to get pretty heated. And I'm letting him know how disappointed I am, and I had better grades, and Tears are starting to flow. And he lets me know how ungrateful I am. Unfortunately, it moved back outside, and it got real heated. And my dad open-handed slapped me slash punched me, and I had braces. I started to bleed. And I said something like, I hate you, and I never want to see you again. And I said, Joey, let's go. And of course, we drive 30 minutes back to Lexington. And by the time I got home, my mom had been called by my dad and telling him all the things that I had done, telling her all the things I had done wrong. And on that drive home, I went from hurt, fear actually initially, anger, disappointment, to resentment, to quite frankly, rage by the time we took the exit to Lexington. I was really angry. See, bitterness and anger and fear and the lack of being willing to forgive, I wasn't even close to thinking about forgiving in that moment. But it does something to us. It actually disrupts us, and for so many years of my life, I just tried to suppress that, thinking I had done so really well. 
Well, you may have done the same thing, and you're only kidding yourself because it does, and it will come out. And it tended to come out uh, as anger with me and, and family and friends. See, there are physical and psychological effects of that bitterness and that anger inside and really in not forgiving. The National Library of Medicine has stated this quote, I love this, the negative health effects of unforgiveness are widely documented, which include but are not limited to stress, increased depression and anxiety, social isolation, and even compromised physical health due to stress on one's immune system. See, not to forgive imprisons you in the past and locks out all the potential for change. I don't know if any of you watch the show Suits on Netflix, but I, I really got into this show. And it's about these high-power lawyers in New York, in Manhattan, they're corporate lawyers. And if I'm honest, the show kind of gets a little repetitive because they always kind of figure a way out. But Harvey Specter is the, he's the dude. He can win anything, right? If you've watched it. If you haven't, you might check it out. But I got to be honest with you, and spoiler alert here, somewhere in season four or five or six, I couldn't tell you when, I saw two of the most profound episodes of that show to me. Harvey starts to have panic attacks. He starts to have some anxiety attacks in the workplace, and he's like, I don't know what's going on with me, because this man thought and always acted like he was in control. And as you come to discover, there's a lot of things going on. A lot, always, there's always something chaotic going on in the law firm. But what it was really driving it was that he had not forgiven his mother for something that she had done to her, his father nearly 20 years prior. That stuff builds up. He was having anxiety attacks. Came out 17 years later, I think it was, because he refused to offer his mother forgiveness. As a matter of fact, if I'm not, uh, my memory's not always the greatest, but the episode where he remembers being at his father's funeral and his mother was there and he told her she did not deserve to be there and he said, I will never forgive you. And I went, right back to when I was 16. And I went, I mean, I was sitting there crying down in her basement going, I'm crying to suits. So I apologize if you've not seen it, but I just ruined two of the best episodes. (laughs) I will never. A state of the Bible survey did a bunch of research, a bunch of questions asking people, do you forgive? How do you forgive? Have you forgiven someone? Do you feel like you need to forgive someone? And they they call that data and they boiled it down and they said this, people that forgive flourish. So think about the opposite of that. People that don't forgive, don't flourish. A lot of times, this anxiety and the stress that we have in our lives could, could probably be because we've been unwilling to forgive someone who's hurt us. Have you ever said, I will never, and finish the sentence, forgive who, talk to so-and-so again? I've heard that so much in my own life. I've heard that from small group members in our home. I remember one time a good friend of mine was leading our small group in the home, and another guy said, I will never forgive my dad. 
Now, I apologize for the children in the room, but we had a flag. Matter of fact, I won't say it, but we had a BS flag, we called it. And we all knew each other well enough that if someone said something that we thought was BS, you would throw the flag at him. And I watched Charlie, who was leading the group, throw the flag at this guy. He said, why, why never? John Hopkins Medical did a study that found that the, art, the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of this. Listen to this, heart attack, improving your cholesterol levels and your sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. Louis Smeads, I don't know this guy, but I, I read about him this week. A former professor at Fuller Theological Seminary said this, quote, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. When we generally forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner we set free was us. You know, maybe, maybe that's why Jesus, as Justin said in the welcome, maybe that's why he's so unrelenting on this. He even included it in what we call the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespassers as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. He wants us and our relationships to be alive and free. And when we don't forgive or we're unwilling to forgive, if we say, I will never we stay in bondage, and so do our relationships. Colossians 3.13 is about as succinct as a passage that I think there is about this. If you want to read it with me, you can on the side screens. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, forgiveness and reconciliation are clearly at the heart of Jesus' life, his message, his death, and his resurrection. He teaches this, though. I, this one hit me. He teaches, living with the awareness that we are forgiven felons will break the power of unrighteous anger in our lives. When we focus on the back half of that passage, which says, don't forget, remember, remember the Lord forgave you. Well, what did he forgive you for? So often it's the recognition in us that we are broken, that we are human. And i got to be honest, when I was 16, I didn't think I was broken. I was a narcissistic, overconfident, smart punk, and good kid at times. And now I'm a little bit more mature and wise at 55 to know, oh my gosh, I have fulfilled the back half of that passage many times. I know that I need his forgiveness. I know that I'm a forgiven felon. General Oglethorpe, it's a weird name, I think, but he was an English army officer, and he was the founder of the colony of Georgia, now the state of Georgia. And he had a chaplain on his staff, and that chaplain was John Wesley, who happened to then go on and found Methodism the founder of the Methodist church in a sense. And one time this general said to this chaplain, he said, and he said this with great pride, I never forgive. John Wesley listened for a minute, thought, and he said, well, then, general, I hope, sir, that you never sin. 
See, only forgiven people can truly forgive. Why else would you consider it? If someone has hurt you, hurt me, we should demand justice, right? Confessing your sin and asking for forgiveness, saying, I'm sorry. If my wife was in this room, (laughs) she would say, that's the hardest two words in my language. Oh, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm sorry, Julie. For so many things. She's heard that, actually, but not often enough. Those might be the five hardest words to say in any human language. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know, it costs God a lot. I think about this. It cost him a lot to say that I will never... God's saying this, I will never hold your sin against you again if you trust and follow my son. I will never. Hmm. See, Jesus died so that our relationship with God could come alive again. His death pays for all of that stuff. Justice was served, just not on us. And we get welcomed back into the family That's the whole back half of that Colossians verse. Don't forget, you're forgiven. So wherever you are in this journey, if you're beginning or you've moved down the road a bit or you're further down the road and you probably need to come back like me because you got a little complacent, processing through and wrestling with and, and just leaning into what God did for you is probably a great place to start or do again. That every day his grace, his mercy is new. That he offers a forgiveness that we just often can't truly comprehend. But if we're going to forgive others, my suggestion would be to start there in your need and his willingness to say, I will never hold your sin and your brokenness against you ever again. I'd like to continue that story. So I arrive home with my buddy. My mom certainly met me at the door. It was ugly for a while. A lot of things were said. But my mom and my stepdad, Tony, at the time, he is deceased now. They were followers of Christ. And so they let me calm down because I needed to for probably several weeks. And one day when I came home from school... There was a letter in my bedroom, and I read it, and it was written from Tony, but I could definitely tell that my mom and him had talked about this. And my stepdad said, hey, you weren't innocent in this matter. You did some things, too. Your dad certainly did some things, too, not dismissing that. But the last part of it said, you cannot go through your life without a relationship with your real father. And he goes, and I know both of you, and you're cut from the same cloth in the sense that you're stubborn as mules. So if you think you're going to ever reconcile this relationship, you're going to have to be the one to move first. Mm, I think I told you that I'm sorry was not in my vocabulary then. So the first thing I thought when I read the letter, honestly, was like, you got to be kidding me. You want me to go say I'm sorry when I'm not wrong? See the self-righteousness in that? 
So some weeks passed, and I eventually, because I trusted mom and Tony, I picked up the phone, called my dad, took an earful, said, I'm sorry, can we meet? We met, it was ugly, it got better, and our relationship kind of stayed okay because I graduated high school, went to college, joined the Air Force, and, and it was okay. But it wasn't until Tony's passing in 2007, and I got up to speak at his celebration of life, and I shared the story of the kind of man he was, and I shared about that letter. And my dad was in the audience. After the, after the service, my dad came up to me, and he's like, hey, Tony was a wonderful man. I can see that, and I know that now better than I did. And he certainly helped your family. I don't remember all exact words. But then he said something. As he started to walk away, he turned back, and he goes, but hey, we still have time. So, obviously, it was an emotional moment. But I got to be honest, I was already on staff here at Shoal Creek at that time. And for the next year and a half to two years, I remember talking to my boss, my good friend Roy, about this and saying, hey, I know your mother died young. Do you, do you ever hold that against God for taking someone you love so well? And man, we, we, we just sat there and talked and cried. Because gotta be, I was angry with God. He took the man who raised me. He took the man who believed in me. He took the man that helped me get into the Air Force Academy. And I got denied, and he knew how to do a waiver and got me in anyways. This is the man that would call me every Saturday when I was here working and say, hey, what's going on up there? And oftentimes, I'd be like, man, I'm working. Tony, you know, I'm working. He's like, really? You're working that hard? You can't talk to me? So I held that against God, and I held that against my dad, Gary. But then I felt God say to me, hey, you know that, that passage from Colossians that, that I actually said you must forgive? I wasn't kidding. Oh. So that started a phone call, a visit. And normally when I go to my pops' house, my dad, he would, it would be to get a tool. My dad has tools. Out. I don't know how to describe he has tools. He's like, hey, well, you got, I got nine drills. You want a drill? Yeah, I need a drill. I told Julie, I said, hey, I think at some point I need to just go over there and be with my dad. So that started a lunch and then some breakfasts. And I got to tell you, God told me, you are not going to move into this man's life well unless you rely on me. So three things that I did that may help you, they may not. But I'm going to tell you the three things that I started to do around that time. I started to pray. And when I say pray, I don't mean like some sort of devout thing, like, you know, I'm praying a scripture. I don't mean not that that's bad. I was, I was like, God, how am I going to do this? I don't know this man. I want to know this man as dad, but I'm not 10 years old anymore. And I prayed earnestly, like soften my heart, because to me, the hardest thing in life is the human heart. I know from personal experience. So I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And I don't, I'm not telling you I did it every day, but I did it on a regular basis. Because like, I knew I could not move towards him without God's presence and peace and strength and courage in my life. Here's the other thing I started to do, and this is something that my wife encouraged me to do. She said, why don't you try and walk a mile in his shoes? I don't want to do that. Well, try it. 
recognize that your father lost his mother at a very young age. He was moved around quite a bit growing up and ended up living with his older brother and his wife. And so you start to just recognize, maybe because I was also 39 or 40, that this man's human. <laughs> I had made mistakes, made mistakes in my life, in my marriage. I was not a perfect person by any means. And so walking a mile in his shoes helped me to say from his vantage point. And just like Harvey Specter, I had held that against my dad for many years, decades, kept him at arm's length. So I just put hurt upon hurt. And I asked myself, when's the grenade launching going to stop? When's the escalation going to stop? We see it with people. We see it with families. We see it with countries. Someone says, we're going to go to war because of something that happened back in 1642. Oh, my gosh. I was holding something against my dad from my childhood, especially when I was 16 in that incident, for decades. So I'm doing wrong, too. And the last step, and I've already kind of talked about it, is just take a baby step. Maybe it's a text. Maybe you tap out a text. Maybe you don't send it the first time. Maybe you write a letter. Maybe you don't send it. Maybe you do. Maybe you type out an email. Maybe you make a call, which is probably the hardest one of those all, to be honest, initially. But you take a baby step, and you can't expect an overnight miracle, even though God may grant you one. I don't know that that's common. I remember when my dad would call me, I would get so excited, I'd answer the phone. I'm like, hey, what are you up to? Hey, what are you doing? Hey, you think Zach would want to go to a Rose game? Oh, that's Zach's my son. I'm like, well, I'll ask him. You know what I wanted? I wanted him to ask me to go to a Royals game. And so even though my dad wasn't necessarily moving at the speed I wanted him to, I just kept taking steps. And I can tell you now that one of the greatest days of my life with my dad is when we went and had breakfast. We then went to Frontier Justice, which is a gun store down in Lee Summit. He and I happened to love to hunt and fish, and we loved to shoot guns. And we just shot guns that day. He bought me a gun in that store, and I felt 10 years old. I'm like, what? Oh, I get a gun. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a Red Rider, baby. It was sweet. <laughs> Take a small step. Just like Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, I've discovered this, especially in relationship with my dad and in the relationship with my wife and her having to forgive me and desiring to forgive me eventually, but not initially but moving through forgiveness with her, is that the person that's going to forgive, you got to die a little. Jesus died once and for all for all of us, but, but in our human relationships, you got to be willing to die a little. It's going to be painful initially, and maybe for a while. But, but by dying to yourself a little, you actually help the relationship live again. And it's so worth it. It's not about some, just saying some words. It's, it's a process that takes time. you got to move through some negative feelings. Even when the person you think doesn't deserve it, God doesn't give us an out. He doesn't say only forgive if someone says, I'm sorry. Only forgive if someone says, I repent. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. He doesn't say that. He says, forgive one another. See, forgiveness offers a way out. It doesn't settle all questions of blame and fairness. 
It often even evades those questions, but it does allow a relationship to start over. You got to die a little so that the relationship might live again. There's some folks in this room that are going to hand out cards right now. You're going to get a card. Everybody, make sure you get one. There's folks up in the balcony or and there's folks walking around here. So I'm going to hand out this card. For those of you watching online, we're going to put this up on the side screens as well. And I want you to get this. So we're going to take a second here to do it. I'm going to tell you what's on both sides, and then we're going to read through both of these. So on one side of the card that you're getting right now, it's Colossians 3.13, which I read earlier. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. If you don't have one yet, go ahead and raise your hand. Maybe we can, it looks like we're getting there. Yep, we got a few. We're getting there. I could have just shot them out of a cannon, I guess. <laughs> they got one of those down at Frontier Justice, by the way. I'm going to read the quote on the other side. This was written by Walter Wangerin. I don't know if that's pronounced right. He says, forgiving will not immediately soothe your pain. Instead, it introduces a different pain, a much more hopeful pain because it is redeeming. You do deny yourself and die a little in order to forgive. Pride dies, fairness dies, rights die, as do self-pity and the sweetness of a pout or the satisfaction of a little righteous wrath. You die a little that the relationship might live again. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to, for those of you that are, maybe there's two sides to forgiveness. Maybe there's a side of those that need to forgive someone, feel they should forgive someone, want to forgive someone, or not. And maybe there's this another side that you're feeling more like, I need to be forgiven. I'm the one that did the harm. So whichever side you find your soul on this morning, I kind of want to hopefully help both of those groups. So for those of you that feel like you've done something wrong, maybe you have, maybe you know you've done something wrong, I'd like you to turn to that Colossians side and focus on the back half of that. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Focus on the Lord forgave you. Even in your human relationships, if someone hasn't given you or offered you or extended to you forgiveness, you can still receive forgiveness from God. And so maybe you need to just think about that right now. And so I'd like to just pray through this passage a little bit with you. You don't have to bow your heads if you don't want. You can read along with me. God, help all of us in this room to know that we have done wrong. To know that though we have done wrong, you are willing to forgive us and say never again. Well, I hold that against you because of Jesus dying on the cross for me. I hope that you would take this card with you this week. And if that's what you need to do, keep looking at that. If you have another passage that helps you, do that. If you flip it over. Maybe you're the person now that knows, hey, I, I probably need to be moving towards somebody. Let's pray through that a little bit. God, we know this is going to be a painful process. Our rights demand justice, and yet we often don't want justice for ourselves. We just want it for everyone else, especially the person that hurt us. 
So give us your peace and strength, Lord, to, uh, to expect the pain, but then to just let you take it. To know that we're going to have to die a little bit to ourselves in all those specific ways in that quote, pride and fairness and our rights and our self-pity and our demand for wrath. God, please take those and move into our hearts and souls with your peace. And I think for both groups, that last sentence says, you die a little, that the relationship might live. God, we all have offended someone in our lives. We certainly have offended you, and so help us to know that relationship can come alive again with you and with others if we would take the steps towards forgiveness. And so maybe for you, Maybe for you, it's a, it's a belief, maybe, in, or a trust in God that he actually does offer you forgiveness. If, if you're at this place where you're struggling with or starting to understand or want to learn more about who Jesus is, I'm telling you, come into that starting, that discovering baptism class, because it's also not just baptism, but it's like helping people understand who Jesus is and who he wants to be in your life. It's three weeks. It's four and a half hours that I promise you, if you make that small investment, you will gain amazing things from that. It will start you or reignite your journey. And oh, by the way, the Chiefs don't play until late on all three of those weekends. (laughs) I don't know what God did this season, but he helped churches a lot with the Chiefs' schedule. Maybe, Maybe it's just talking to God about what's going on in your soul, regardless of which side you find yourself on. Maybe it's just getting real honest with yourself and real honest with God. Yell at him if you have to. I did a lot in regards to the relationship with my dad. I did a lot of praying when I confessed to Julie the mistakes I had made. Prayer has a way of softening our hearts Prayer has a way of softening our hearts to to accept forgiveness and to extend forgiveness. Empathizing with someone, walking a mile in their shoes, well, that is a great exercise. Because I have demonized a lot of people, and I don't mean that in the, I mean that in the strongest way I can. And my father would be at the top of that list. Like, I blame my dad for a lot of things in my life instead of owning my own junk and realizing he was human. And so walking a mile in someone's shoes is very helpful. And the last one, taking a step. I realize there are some folks in this room that the person who hurt you may not even be living. But you can still move through this process. And I encourage you to because you probably still need to whether they're alive or not. But take a step. Even if they're deceased, write them a note, write them a letter. Act like you're sitting in a room with them and Jesus and you're having a conversation. Taking a small step will lead to a big step. And trust me, the pain is worth the gain. I wish that my dad was sitting here right now. Because our relationship has, it's not been restored to that father-son relationship by any means, but it has been restored in such a way that we're friends. And now I want to spend time with my dad. I want to go over there and connect with him. Whereas in the past, I, had, I, I didn't think I had a single inclination in me. My, my wife was like, you sure, you know, nothing? What are we going to talk about? The royals, the weather, the chiefs? 
that lasts only so long. But it has been born again because God said, die a little bit, Sean. Swallow your pride and make a step towards your father. He did the same thing with my wife, and she stepped towards me, and our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. So forgiveness can change hearts, and forgiveness can change relationships. I want to, I want to, I want to just remind you of something that I said, and I know so many of you have said in your life, and you said, I will never forgive. Have you ever said that? And what if, what if we could change that phrase? What if we could move towards this phrase? I forgive you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I, uh, I thank you. I thank you for meeting me and all these other folks where they are in regards to forgiving another person in their life or if they need forgiveness from another, I, I, that, that we would take some steps, that we would trust you, talk to you, engage you, engage your word, hear from you, not just with our minds, but with our hearts and our souls. Pray that you would give us time, Lord. Take time. This doesn't happen overnight, we found out. To just understand the other person's point of view. And God, let us be a people of action once we've done those steps for a time. Let us, let us reach out, whether it's to extend forgiveness or to ask for it. Let us be people, followers of yours, that take your command to forgive others just as you have forgiven us. Let us take that seriously. Let us acknowledge the pain, work through the pain, probably still have some of the pain, but know that if we do that, the relationships that we have can be restored just like you restored our relationship with you through your son dying on the cross for us. Thank you for that amazing gift that we really can't comprehend time to time, but that is offered and that Jesus joyfully did that. When I read that passage, why your son would joyfully go to the cross, I think it's because he knows the beauty of the relationship that we can have with you because he did. So thank you for him and his sacrifice. And I pray in his name. Amen.